Hey, everybody. Uh, Friday, April 7th. And while it may look like I'm live, I would love to tell you I am. I am not. Uh, we're taping this show a little ahead of time for a very uh, important reason. Uh, I have been blessed with four amazing children, uh, great souls and good people. My youngest, our fourth, Garrison Schilling, uh, is today officially a United States Marine. And I am at the graduation, and I guarantee you I've got tears in my eyes. I'm bawling like a little kid, and I'm overwhelmingly proud and, and have a sense of pride. So Semper Fidelis to my youngest son, Garrison Schilling, and to all you Marines around the world. God bless you, and thank you for your service. However, we're still going to have some fun conversations because uh, the commissioner, who I do – and by the way, sorry. Hi, Bill. How you doing, buddy? Hi, Kurt. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm way better than I appear right here because I'm not here. I am smiling in one of the proudest moments of my life right now uh, as my son walks across the parade deck at Paris Island, uh, a United States Marine. So well, I can't tell you how thrilled I am for you and your well, family. That's a that. wonderful thing. It's an, it's an amazing thing. And all my kids have given me a moment like that. So I'm obviously very blessed, but uh, I want to talk what we're going to talk about today. Since again, I'm not going to, I, I'm not. I, I I might be watching the games, but I'm I'm not here to report on them because I'm not here. So we're going to talk about stuff that's been said that actually deserves conversation. Some long-term stuff when it, with regards to Bryce Harper. Some short-term stuff, and we're going to kick off with that uh, as it relates to the 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 commissioner. Couple things first. I've always been a very very fond of Rob Manfred. I I I, uh, I got to know Rob very closely uh, during the labor negotiations when I was a player rep for the ten years of my career. Always respected him. Always thought he loved the game. Um, uh, some of the stuff that's happened in the last couple of years makes me question that. But again, I know the guy. So I, I think he's trying to come from a good place, even if he makes decisions I don't agree with. However, if you're curious as to the financial state of the game, when the manager, the commissioner, or the owner of a company says something in the media that just kind of pisses all over the, the quality of the, of the product, you know that they're in a financially good place. Uh, Rob Manfred talking about analytics and, and, and he's not wrong in a, in a couple of sense this way. So he was asked about it and he's talking about it on record saying analytics is an arms race to nowhere claims that the marginal value of investing in analytics has never been lower. He, and he's making that claim franchises are pouring resource into something which has little return on investment, little ROI, and that is actively damaging the game. Manfred said, and he's right with this comment. Once everybody's doing it, that little margin that maybe you're getting, I'm sure that whatever that margin was at one point in time, whatever it is today, it's sure as heck is not worth the damage that was done to the game over a period of time. Okay. So I'm, I'm probably going to get bleeped here in, in the next couple seconds. But this, to me, is a politician complaining on Twitter. And my response is, you're the f commissioner. Why are you complaining about your game, you're in charge. Shut up and do something. Why as a politician are you on Twitter complaining about the things I'm complaining about? I voted you in to fix it. Don't complain to me, fix it or shut the hell up. Okay, I'm done. Um, but yeah, so, uh, and everybody's in analytics. Here, here's the thing. Uh, uh, I mentioned last show talking about my, my notebook and my stuff in my bag and things that I'll show you. Um, I was, I was doing analytics. I and you'll laugh at this, Bill. But in 1997, I thought I came up with this new stat. I said, you know, batting average is really irrelevant when a guy's hitting 302 and his on base percentage is 302. I mean, 
wow, that's not good. But I thought, you know what? A guy's on base percentage tells me his batting eye and a guy's slugging percentage tells me if he's a threat, those two combined might be a cool number. So I had OB percentage, this in my notebook, it was OB percentage plus SLG percentage equals like I had it like danger factor or something. I ranked hitters that way. And, and unfortunately I didn't copyright that because it became OPS. Um, but uh, analytics are, I think they're essential to succeed to a degree. I think they're an excuse for other people. And I think they're a, a reason that other people are great. I think you look at Gwen, you look at all the great players of my era, they were doing analytics. They were just doing it a different way. Maddox was, was probably, you know, he understood. And like, I think like I did, I didn't care what your average was. What I cared was your on-base percentage, your first pitch swing percentage, what your strikeout to walk ratio was, you know, what did you hit with runners in scoring position? How, what was your swing percentage with two strikes? You know, and then as I got older and I developed a, a, a sample set by facing the same guy 25 times, those numbers would come to fruition. They would be, and I learned that my, my sabermetric data versus hitters was different than the rest of the league. So when the league would send out a folder, so I actually have one. So the league, we would work with these. So this is actually, this is the two, and it's all dusty. This is the 2004 Texas Rangers. And before a series, we would get, I would, we would get this as a, as a staff, right? So this was the, the notes from all of our advanced scouts on the series before they played us. And then it would go into uh, running situations, every stolen base, the count, the hitter, blah, blah, blah. And then it would go like this, right? This is, uh, who is this? This is Manny Alexander of the Texas Rangers, right? And they mean what they think they mean. Cold is good for the pitcher. Red is bad, right? The problem was, from an analytical standpoint, all of this is every guy in baseball. So if you threw 82 and you threw 98, you were all on the same chart. His numbers in the red and blue areas, they get different based on velocity and based on pitch selection and all things that go through that. So while analytics can can give you things, you, you have to understand your personal strengths and weaknesses and how they apply, I think. Um, and so I learned early on that that was, you know, if I'm looking at an analytics chart of a hitter against Jamie Moyer and, and I'm assessing my red and, and blue areas for that hitter based on that data, I'm an idiot. And I'm getting paid a lot of money to not be an idiot. So, uh, well, again, when you're, when you're, when your owner is bad mouthing the product, business is good. So uh, we'll go next to uh, Bryce Harper. And and I, I don't, and let me just say before this, I had a chance to meet him when he was very young in spring training, uh, walked away, very impressed. He was, a, he was, a, he was, a, 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 he was raised right. He was a good young man, very respectful, very courteous, clearly has an insane baseball IQ. He is on the 10 day uh, injured list. Uh, they haven't moved him to the 60 yet. If they, and then and that'll be all 40 man roster stuff. So just so you understand, every team has a 40 man roster. They can roster 40 players. Those players are available to the big leagues and those players are on different contracts. Uh, you can, it, when you put a guy out, you, you can only move a player on and off the 40 man roster so many times before the other teams have a chance to claim him. However, you can clear a spot, clear a spot and, and make your 40 man roster go to 39 by taking a player and putting him on the 60 day injured list. When a player's on the 60 day injured list, he's on your 40 man roster. No one can do anything with him, but he's not on your 40 man. He doesn't count towards your 40 man roster. So if you want to bring a young guy up, uh, that's why so many times you'll see uh, players uh, not called up and brought down a lot 
anymore because you only have so many options. That's called an option. And the unfortunate part is, and you might not know this, but when a player is called up and down and you've seen it uh, 15 times during a season, that's just one option. So you have three options, three years of bouncing around before uh, they have to, 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 to make a decision, but he's not on the 60 day deal. He's returning from Tommy John surgery. Um, a very different situation for a hitter than it is for a pitcher. Very different situation for a position player, and it also depends on what position you're playing. Um, he's starting BP uh, in about 10 days. Uh, the plan is to start him back at DH, which makes all the sense in the world. His quote was, I've still got a minute to go. Just trying to be smart about it, understanding my good days are going to be good, and some days I'll just be sore and it'll be a little bit tougher. But I feel good right now. Just got to keep that going, keep doing the same stuff. Uh he, he, that's a, absolutely the mentality. The hard part about Tommy John, especially as I've learned it from pitchers is you're, you feel like you're ready about six to eight months before you're actually ready because you get healthy so fast and you feel so good that you don't, you think everything is okay. And there's always a, a there's a peak at about eight to 12 months. And then there's a Valley after that, everybody goes through it. And then the, after the Valley is about 18 months, and that's changed, obviously, and it has a lot to do with your body and all things go with that. But the first time off of Tommy John, when you're in that first peak, it's not – that's not it. You're still six to eight months away. Um, but he's a position player. Not only that, he's a corner outfielder. Um, does it, doesn't have even remotely close to the load of throwing that a pitcher does. Also, um, I, I'm not sure how to say this because I obviously don't want to make it seem easy – but the fact of the matter is, in a pitcher, the Tommy John, your 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 own your ligaments in your elbow, you rely on them every single pitch to be structurally sound and hold together because of the instability and cause with your shoulder. Um, as a hitter, obviously you rely on those things. I just that's what I can't tell you. I don't know what a Tommy John surgery does to a hitter when he's rotating his his elbow to to extend and all the things go with that. I'm sure it's involved, obviously. I don't know to what degree, and, and I don't know if it's if it's day-to-day -day pain or discomfort. Uh, it's vastly different. I don't know if it's easier or harder than a, position, a pitcher. I would imagine it's a little easier um, because you don't have the throwing load, um, but I don't know for sure. But I, I expect him to be back probably sooner than everybody expects. Uh, the only way, and, and if you see him go to the 60-day DL, I will tell you right now, first of all, it's retroactive, Right. So they can date it back to the last time he took the field officially, which is opening day, right? Opening day, he gets the sixth, would be the start of his 60 day DL if he goes on the 60 day, which would be June 1st, somewhere around June 1st, where he'd be active and ready. Um, if he goes on the 60 day, it'll be because they need to make a roster move. If their 40 man is full, they want to bring up a young guy uh, that doesn't have a 40 man spot. And so they'll clear that if they, if they need to, they'll clear him or they'll move a minor league kid off the 40 man. And when you do that as a minor league kid, you're available to other teams through waivers and things like that. But uh, I would expect him to be back. I think understanding him, I would expect him to be back the first day he's able to get back on the field and healthy and, and do his job. And the good news for him is that they can easily DH him, which will help. I, I, I agree with you to the extent that I don't understand the physicality of the Tommy John surgery with hitting. On, on the swing, yeah. Right. I, I know it's something. The the rotation and stuff, I don't know how that impacts it. Uh, you'd have to uh, have a hitter and, and and talk about that. And actually, speaking of hitters, they're going to be uh, 
you're going to be uh, able to enjoy uh, the final part of this interview coming up. Uh, Dave Hollins and I spoke. You've seen two parts of it. If you watch the first two parts, uh, you clearly understand that he and I love each other to death and we had some great experiences. The final part of this interview is probably the most profound part of it because we talk about uh, a man who had an enormous impact on both of our lives in, in Darren Dalton, who was the captain of that 1993 team. Uh, and you're going to hear Dave and I talk uh, with a lot of reverence, well-earned, well-deserved, and respect for the greatest clubhouse presence that I ever played with and played around. So stay tuned and uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the interview. Well, well that, our- that leads me to the second name I want to mention to you, uh, Darren Dalton. Yeah. Um, I've said to this day, and I'll say to my grave, and when I say this, I'm talking about Barry Bonds 2001 to the rest of the world separation the best leader yes. i've ever been around in any setting the only man I, I i and i hand to god i never heard him make a wrong comment that got to the papers never right and and we had meetings behind and i get chills thinking about it we had meetings closed door meetings and the meeting was dutch stood up at his locker which was down in the left corner it anchored macho row on the left with crocky on the right our meetings were Darren standing up and making a comment. And it was, and it was, it was like my father. He never said a lot, but everything he said was a hundred percent true, a hundred percent needing to be said. And it fixed us. Yes. And that's why there wasn't fights in the clubhouse because Darren would just step in and be the guy who was going to fight somebody. If anybody was going to fight. Yeah. He knew he wouldn't get hurt and he didn't want any of us getting hurt. But I know you two were, were, were as tight as family. Um, and you know, I want you to talk a little bit about him and his influence. Yeah. Well, he, like you said, you never, after leaving Philly or even before never played with, it never came close to a leader of a guy who could, which as you know, is not easy. It's it's enough to do your job at that level, let alone to take the time to lead uh, a group of guys, pitching staff and position players, you know, that's hard to do. Well, who are alpha and have always been the best of the best on every team they've ever been on until this one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I've no, I remember he used to say stuff after big games and uh, close to the playoffs here where he, he'd say, hey, listen up. I don't want anybody popping off in the papers or the press. Don't say a word. Just keep doing what we're doing. I, that, yep. That's all he'd have to say. And, and it didn't happen. And, and he, I remember after we swept Houston in that opening series, he in the Houston clubhouse. That was the first time I ever heard him say it. Hey, guy, because you know Mickey hits a home run late in the game for us to win it, and we sweep Houston. At, at, and this was in 1993 when Houston had signed Dre Beck and Swindell. They had gotten some. They were going to be the super team of the year, and we opened the season sweeping them. And we knew in spring training we were good. We right. fought, I think, four times that spring with the Cardinals. Um, <laughs> we weren't taking shit from anybody, and we were big. And we had guys like Dave and Pete and Cabilia and Dutch. And Dutch is the respect we're talking about with Dutch was reverent. It was league wide. Uh, everybody in the league felt that way about Darren. Um, and he was a man of few words. And, and I'll tell you a quick story. We were in St. Louis, middle of season. I had just had what eventually I spent 22 years or, around the big leagues. It was the worst single month of my entire career, hands down. And it was a, a month prior to the all-star game. I, a month I, I went into June. I was eight and two. I was leading the league in ERA. And I popped off about the all-star game because it was in Baltimore in in July. Right. And I went 0 and 5 and my ERA went from two to six. 
And we, I, I pitched the game in St. Louis. It was 150,000 degrees on the turf. And I gave up like 106 runs and left the game with the bases loaded in like the third inning. Mark Davis comes in and hits a grand or gives up a grand slam after the game. The media comes rushing over to my locker and they're like, Hey, listen, Darren just said a, B, C, and D just ripping me and without naming me didn't have to, it was obvious. And there was another pitcher who was struggling at the same time. And they looked at me and they were all fired up because they were like, Oh my God, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be teammate versus teammate. And I was like, what do you want me to tell you? And they're like, well, how do you feel about what he said? I said, he's, he's right. right. I, I don't know. He's right. I mean, yeah. I, and, and he was. And he knew, but see, here's the thing about him. He knew that I could handle it, that I wasn't going to melt down because he'd criticized me. The other guys he was talking about, he knew that I could take the flack. And that's one of the things I always did as a player. I had no problem with the media coming to me and saying, oh, my God, what happened? Because I, I was going to be honest and shit happens. Yeah. And and that's when and and i more importantly for me is i wanted him to be proud of me and respect me yeah and i think after that we had a conversation about that and and he told me and i was like i know i know why, why he did, did it. it yeah yeah why he did it i mean yep. we had a similar run-in i think i told you about it it was after the houston series yep we swept them and he was all about the team as you know yep and i had struck out three times and gone over for four or five in that last game. I don't know if you remember that. You probably don't. Uh, no, but I remember this. I remember. Uh, it. I, yeah. you know, me and him had this hug and uh, embrace after every uh, win that we would do on the plane. Uh, and uh, I came up to him and he came up to me and I kind of blew him off. I was immature. You were pissed. Yeah, I no. yep. yep. Whereas I should have been excited that we just struck, swept the Astros and we were heading home for our home opener. Yep. So I didn't think too much about it. I went home that night and uh, when I came in for the, the opening day, uh, when we were getting ready, I walked in that club and I could feel him staring me down. He was yes. sitting in his locker and it wasn't the same, hey, Davey or, you know, yep. And I went in my locker and I started getting undressed and I, and I started thinking, uh, you really, you f***ed up. What the f We're getting ready for our home opener. <laughs> Got to catch a pitcher and all. And here he's thinking about me. And I knew I was wrong, but I didn't know how serious, it, how much it bothered him. Yep. And finally, it, this went on for about 15 minutes or so. And uh, I finally <laughs> walked up to him and said, Dutch. I screwed up, man. I never struck out three times in a game. I, I should have been excited for when, you know, if you need to hit me or do something, go ahead. But I, I want, I apologize. And he goes, I didn't sleep a wink last night. He goes, I dreamed about fighting you today <laughs> instead of being ready to play our home opener. I mean, he made me feel like. Yeah. And you and never did it again. No, you never did it again. You know, he went out there and had a great I mean, I think he hit two home runs that he day. He did, yep. It was an amazing performance. He told me he didn't sleep the whole night. So I, yeah. And that never happened again. And boy, did he teach me a lesson because you. I think you were there in Wrigley when he struck out five times in a game and that fan yelled over the dugout, don't worry about it, Dutch. Your manager struck out five times in a game. And Darren, you couldn't tell if he went five for five or 0 for five. Well, he was the same guy. Yes, but that was amazing to me. That was, was first. 
circling mm -hmm. back. That's why Darren Dalton was a leader. And that is what leaders are in the real world. Darren Dalton was the same leader when he went 0 for 5 and punched out five times as when he went 5 for 5 and hit two home runs. Yes. His day didn't change. And, and uh, you know mentally it did, but his day didn't change to us. He was a leader, and so a leader leads no matter what his statistics are, no matter what kind of day he's having, no matter what kind of month he's having. He never stopped leading, and he, you look at his career, he didn't have monster years every year. He struggled. He was a guy, first of all, worked his out to get to the big leagues very tough guy as tough as anybody ever know known it's tough as dave and i think that's where you got some of that but he played he broke his collarbone tried to stay in the game one time um and that was actually the game he challenged pete and Cavilli. he was going to kick pete and Cavilli's after the game thankfully for pete he broke his collarbone during the game uh or he would have ceased ironically playing. yes 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 but but that that's such an important thing because i found in real life and i'm sure you did as well after the game leaders lead period they don't wait for scenarios or circumstances to act like a leader or be a leader or say something leadership-like. And I found that in the military, I found that to be one of the things or hanging around and, and the military people is leaders are just, you can feel them. They're, they have a presence and Dutch had a presence and that was, and it was obvious. And so anytime you can create an atmosphere where the people with you care about what you think you're leading. And I always wanted his approval um, because he was that guy. And and, and he, it, like I said, it bugged me because as much as I talk, um, I've said millions of things stupid and wrong. He never said the wrong thing ever at any time. No. Um, spots, but he wasn't like he was quiet about it. I no, mean, no. He was a part of the team. He conversed. He had fun. Right he on laughed. Yeah. And needed to be said and always had the right delivery. Yeah. That, right and that's delivery. the thing. You could it was genuine. He he didn't have to make it up. And I just remember the 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 vision I have of him, and I have many, but the one that sticks in my head is walking into the training room after a game with his he had nine or ten ice bags all over his body, sitting in the training room, and you and Crocky and him, Inky, Lenny. Uh, you Lenny, yeah. <laughs> Lenny on the floor on his spitting on the Lenny spitting on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Luffy walking in with his underwear and cowboy boots on, cleaning his ears. Yep. Pretending yep. To, to hear what was going on. Yep. The he slide those bell bottom jeans right over the boots. Yep. He came yep. In and the, and, most and of the it was funny because you knew he was kind of taking his time so he could hear what was being talked about. Right, and, but he did. But he, as a coach, he didn't want to invade our space. So, and, and by the way, that that that's something else. When you talked about Dutch running the clubhouse, it made Jim Fergosi's job so incredibly easy because Jim didn't Fergosi didn't have to manage us at all. No. Um, he, he was one of the guys yeah. in a way that very few managers I ever played for. He 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 knew the clubhouse was ours. He had the guys to run it. And he just let it happen. And and you know his I that was a, a an art a gift because absolutely you let the players control the clubhouse and you worry about running the game, I think it's a much better formula. Well, for I, it, it gets back to understanding as a leader what your strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah. Right, he knew that he had a clubhouse that could take care of itself. He knew there was never going to be any bull. That's why he never. I mean, he should have talked to me more than he did, but he didn't have to because Dutch did. Right, because the dumb. That I would say, and and, and Vuki or Dutch, uh, yeah, to well, it. no, Vuki, 
Yeah, Buki only ever talked to me like that twice. And and the second time he didn't have to because I was like, I know, I'm sorry. Because yeah. I didn't want lectured from Vuk because that would be followed by, you know, I'll fight you if that's what needs to happen. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I had one of those with Vuk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody had that one, but he but it was it was real though. It was genuine and sincere because he loved you and and he wanted he wanted to win above all else. And, you know, I mean, Vuk had Larry Bow running around to, to manage. So his life was full enough. Yes, uh, it was. Kurt, it, it, the leadership message in there, to me, was the most important thing. Yeah, it, it was so profound. And and I you heard us talk about it. Absolutely, unequivocally, no doubt in my mind that the 1997 Florida Marlins do not win the World Series if they don't trade for Darren Dalton. I bet you Jim Leland would agree with that. And I bet you most of the guys on the team would agree with that as well. He, he walked in that clubhouse. And remember, that was a clubhouse full of stars and veterans. And he took charge. And it was uh, watching him win that was such an awesome feeling. Um, and I owe an enormous amount of everything I am, uh, ever was, uh, to him. And we'll be forever grateful they got to spend time in the same uniform as Dutch. So, um, yeah. Uh, all right, we're going to close it out uh, with, uh, I'm going to tell you a couple stories around umpiring. All right. Uh, on social media, uh, CBD Buckner is getting crushed for calling strikes well outside the strike zone. My first response is, you're, I'm offended if you're acting surprised that that happened, number one. Number two, and this is a hand to God true story, and I know in this day and age of the cancel culture, kiss my ass. Because this is not about racism. CB is a black man, which and and which I've played around and had a lot of great black umpires. So that has nothing to do with the story. I had another black umpire come to me on the field and say, "Hey, you know what his name is?" And I looked over and he was pointing to CB and I said, "CB." He goes, "Yeah, you know what CB stands for?" And I was like, "What?" He's like, "Confused brother." I lost it. I was never any good from then on. When it, whenever I had CB behind the plate. Um, but, and again, cancel culture, beware. Uh, he had an, in, in the, so he, he called eight of 57 strikes uh, were actually outside of the zone. Uh, he called five balls of the 146 strike. Well, uh, ranked worst or second worst up last year. His inconsistent strike zone is, yeah. And, and that's the word. I can tell you this, even before Quest Tech, the only word that ever mattered for umpires, listen, as a, as a pitcher, Yes, I would love a huge strike zone. However, as a pitcher, when I throw this pitch over here for strike one and I do all this other stuff and I come back here, this better be strike three as well. And that's the problem. The inconsistency and the variations in the strike zone, they had as much to do with travel schedules and weather and all other crap before Quest Tech and before the automated strike zone, in a sense, than they, they, anything else did. I know Eric Gregg. When Eric Gray, when I was pitching in Eric Gray in a day game, when Eric Gregg was behind the plate, I could throw a ball off the mascot and get a possible called strike. Because it, if it was hot, he had to get off the field. I don't ever remember him surviving a full day game, hot day game on the field. And and I, that's kind of sad, but if you remember the I don't know if you remember, Bill, Levon Hernandez and the Marlins against the Braves. Yes. In the clinching game, he struck out, I think, 15. And strike three to end the game, I think, was, wasn't was against Fred McGriff. 
and it was like seven and a half feet off the plate or some ridiculous nowhere thing. near the plate yeah so uh yeah and, and, the, the, and that's the biggest problem when you talk about umpires it's inconsistent more more importantly to me is the lack of accountability i'm going to tell you a quick story at the end of the show uh and every word of this is true so in uh i want to say it was 1997 uh, i was i i in the winter of 1996, I, I was at a banquet in Philadelphia and I was sitting with Darren Dalton and Joe West was at the, at the dais with me. And to understand Philadelphia and Joe West, there's an actual dartboard made and sold in Philadelphia with Joe West's face on it. They hate him and he loves it, right? Joe West is like a country music singer, by the way. Uh, I always enjoyed Joe. Joe was a, a smart ass. He would talk trash on the field. He was a good umpire. He was a consistent umpire. Wish he would have been bigger, but he was consistent all the time. Anyway, uh, I'm sitting next to Joe at the dais, and, and Darren is talking. And Darren uh, is talking about Joe as an umpire, and, and, and I'm, I'm mentioning to Joe how, uh, you know, this ball is eight inches here, and this ball is eight inches there. And I'm sitting next to Joe, and Joe's actually doing and saying funny stuff. And he goes up to the to the the podium and he starts telling these stories and he's and everybody's laughing because he is funny. And he gets to he starts ragging on Darren and he says, you know, I, I began to realize that to a major uh, a Darren Dalton as a catcher, this is eight inches. Everybody laughs. I got nothing. I'm after Joe. So I walk up there and I I for some reason on the way to the, the podium, it came to me. I had seen Joe that summer in Montreal. I said, you know, it just dawned on me. I was in Montreal. We were playing the Expos and I saw Joe West and I saw this gorgeous blonde and I looked at him and I looked at her and then I looked at him again. I looked at her and it just didn't add up. And it just dawned on me that to Joe West, this is eight inches. Place goes nuts. Everybody's laughing, including Joe. Fast forward to June of that year. I'm pitching in Florida against the Marlins and Joe West is behind home plate. Now, one thing I took a lot of pride in my career, I didn't walk people. I never walked people. Three walks was a was a was a nuclear outing for me. It's probably the sixth or seventh inning. Uh, I walk Gary Sheffield for the fifth walk of the game on strike eight. And I've had enough. I I and you didn't show Joe up, so I went to change balls. And I'm laughing now, but I wasn't laughing then. I walk in and I look at Joe and I, I got my head down and I said, Joe. You gotta be fucking kidding me. He goes, I said, he said, that's outside. I said, but Joe, that ball's not outside. He goes, that ball's about eight inches outside, big boy. And turns around, laughs and turns around and walks away. And I'm standing there like, oh my God, he rigged the game. Like, I'm like, I'll never, ever say a negative word about it. I like, I was just baffled and it was funny. And, and, you know, he was obviously being a smart ass and that's the kind of smart, but like, it stunned me into, and if you know me, it stunned me into to uh, being at a loss for words. Is that how much it stunned me? But uh, so that's my Joe West story. Um, and we lost the game and they won the World Series. So there you go. Oh, that is too good. Too good. So again, uh, thank you guys for, for, for watching the show. The feedback so far has been good. Hope Share it with your friends. Hopefully uh, some guys in the game will start to watch and listen uh, because I think um, – well, I think it, it's it's some useful stuff. Anyway, uh, you're never going to hear me disrespect players. I will I will talk about players that do poor and bad things, but I won't disrespect the game or the players. Um, probably more importantly, though, I will be back uh, my real self for Tuesday's show. 
uh, after returning from Paris Island, and I'm going to smile saying it because my son is graduating into the United States Marines. And by the way, Bill, I found it pretty cool. I did. I thought of this on my own is, you know, thinking I'm genius. Everybody graduates from college, graduates from things. You graduate into the Marines. That's awesome. So anyway, have God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. Outkick.com. Uh, share with everybody and I'll catch you guys early next week. Bill, have an awesome weekend, dude. You too. All right.